Are you ready to study the Bible? Amen. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You. You are good. We are not compared to You. There's only one who is good. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for sending Your Son to us. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to forgive those who sin against us. May we always seek to bless Your name. And I pray that this lesson today would open the eyes of the people, not just here, but anywhere that is listening or watching. We love You, Yahweh. It's through the name of Your holy child, Yeshua, I pray. Amen. John, the book of John, chapter 9. I'll go there in just a moment. I had planned on continuing our study through the Lord's Prayer today by moving into the parts of the prayer that talk about give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But ever since last week, my mind has stuck on something that I touched on in that sermon about sickness and disease and healing and Yahweh's will. And I feel like I need to camp out on this subject for a few sermons because it's often taught wrongly. Most of the Christianity that you hear on the radio or that you see on the television teaches that healing, physical healing, is always the will of the Lord. So if you get sick, it's always God's will to heal you but it's up to your faith, your prayers, your desires as to whether or not you are healed. Now, I've heard this so many times. When someone does not get healed of a sickness or a disease, I've heard these things said. Well, they just didn't have enough faith. Or, they didn't pray enough. Or, they must not be living right. Else they would have been healed. I don't believe that that is biblical. I do believe in divine healing and I do believe in miracles. But I do not believe that it is always Yahweh's will to heal sick people. Which means that I do believe that sometimes Yahweh's will is for people to get sick or diseased for His greater purpose. So what happens here is, for example... A woman may birth a child who has Down syndrome or a paraplegic. Someone may be deaf or blind. A person may have a deformity in their body or someone may suffer from clinical depression. Someone may have a disease where they can live, but they have to live with problems and through problems like with something like cystic fibrosis. And you can add to that list of sickness and disease... There's this idea in some streams of Christianity that people who are not healed of these things in this life have a lack of faith or are not obedient enough. Or sometimes it's even said that a demon is inside of those people. I'm telling you that this is not what the Bible teaches. What has happened, as is so often the case, is that people have taken a few snippets from the Bible and misinterpreted them so as to form a false doctrine. You can come up with all kind of false doctrines if you only focus on parts of the Bible. 
You have to take all of it as a whole, not just only Scripture, but all of Scripture. And most people leave out the first 75% of that Bible, that part that we call the Old or the Older Testament. So instead of recognizing that we live in a fallen world where there are problems and debilitation and disease and sickness and mishap and all of those things occur, instead of recognizing that and that those things can be used to teach and to strengthen us, people think that these things are always supposed to be gone in the life of a believer. And in the process, believers who deal with any of these things, they feel second class or lower rate next to people who don't deal with these things. You may have somebody that suffers with clinical depression and they're a believer. You may have someone that is always cheerful in their attitude and they don't have that problem. And because of certain teaching, the person that suffers feels second class or lower rate. And at worst, they may even feel like they're not even saved. And these are all reasons why I think we need to spend some time looking at this. So I want to begin by saying that it can be, Yahweh's will, that you get sick or diseased. It can be. It can be Yahweh's will that you have problems in life. It can be Yahweh's will that the problem that you have lasts a long time in order to teach you important life lessons and build your strength and build your character. It can be Yahweh's will that a person die at a certain time for reasons known only to Him. Now, we don't want to go through any of this because it's not easy and it's not nice for us to have to go through this. But I still believe that Yahweh's will is paramount. Let me explain it like this. How many in here have been through a trial? If you get old enough, you go through many trials. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's a little one or a big one. Any trial will do. Now, while going through that trial, it's rough, isn't it? It's tough. Now, how many of you have been through a trial, but that particular trial is now over with? I know I've been through something like that. Have you ever been able to look back in retrospect and begin to see at least some of the reasons why Yahweh allowed you to go through that trial? I have. Now, I don't always see everything that He meant for me because He's Yahweh. If I could see everything, then I would be Yahweh. But I can't. He's Yahweh. But I've been through things and come out on the other end and I've said, Thank you, Yahweh. You taught me much through that. I'm a different person and I'm a better person because of that trial. We may be prideful and Yahweh has to tear us down and humble us. We may be hateful. And Yahweh has to show us how to love people. How to love our enemies. We talked about that recently. We may have to lose something to realize how much that something means. I remember one time our water heater went out. Back at the old house that we lived at. Down here not far away. And I had to take cold showers and baths for about three or four days. Until Michael Bruce came out and fixed our water heater. And it was just like I took for granted that when I turned the knob that said H, hot water was going to come out until the water heater went out. And I began to realize how important my water heater was to me. 
You go three or four days without taking a hot shower or bath, and you'll find out how important it is to you. Now, that's a small thing, but you get my point. We take for granted the blessings that we have in life. Many blessings we have in life. We begin to take them for granted. And sometimes when Yahweh wants to wake us up and get our attention and teach us a lesson, He takes those blessings away so that we can appreciate them again. Now, in the Bible, is sickness ever associated with personal sin? Yes, it is. I'll give one example. This is not my sermon, but I'll give one example. In John chapter 5, there was a man who had been sick. He was paralyzed for 38 years, and he sat by the pool of Bethesda, and there was an angel that would come down out of heaven ever so often and would stir up the waters. At least some manuscripts say this. The angel would stir up the waters, and if somebody could get into those waters in time, they would be healed of their disease. But this man didn't have anybody to pick him up and put him in the water. And so Yeshua came by that day and healed this man that had been sick for 38 years, paralyzed. And he told him to pick up his bedroll, pick up your mat and walk. And the Pharisees got upset because they said, it's the Sabbath day. This man can't be a prophet if he tells somebody to pick up his bedroll and walk. And they had attached a lot of traditions to the Sabbath day and cared more about the particulars and technicalities of the law than they did mercy and life and compassion. We don't want to get involved in that. In John 5 verse 14, Yeshua tells this man that He heals, He says, See, you are now well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now, do not sin anymore doesn't mean that Yeshua thought the man could live without sinning one single time in his life ever again. It refers to unrepentant transgression where you know that you're sinning but you don't care. So that's what he's telling that man. Don't go on in unrepentant sin anymore so that something worse, a worse sickness comes upon you. So in John 5, we see in many places in the Bible, we see that there can be times when a person's personal sin can be associated with the sickness that they have. I could show you other places where this holds true, but my sermon is about the opposite. My sermon is that I think it's a mistake to assume that that applies across the board. That every time somebody gets sick, it means that they have a personal sin that they're not repentant of. For example, look with me to John chapter 9 where I asked you to turn. If we flip just a few pages from John 5, where I just talked about, in John 9, beginning at verse 1, it says, As he, this is the Messiah, was passing by, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Yeshua answered. This came about so that the Almighty's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me, while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back, seeing. And his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, Isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he's the one. No, others were saying, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. 
You can continue to read in John chapter 9. It's a fascinating chapter. But we're not told here how old this man was when he was healed. But he was able to walk himself to the pool of Siloam and wash his eyes out. And then later on this man was brought to the Pharisees for questioning. So it looks like he was an adult, maybe a young adult. In verse 21 of this chapter, the man's parents tell the Pharisees, Our son is of age, so ask him about what happened. I bring this text up to show you that a person was born blind, grew up blind, and remained blind for a good many years in life before being healed. And this man's blindness was not due to anyone's personal sin. The disciples said, did this man sin or his parents? Now that's peculiar because he was born blind. So why would they say, did this man sin? Some of the Jews of that day believed that a little infant could sin while they were still inside the womb of their mother. And they got that from the story of Jacob and Esau where they would fight in the womb. Other Jews believed in something called the transmigration of souls where if a soul needed to be rewarded or punished, that it would leave a person's body when they died and it would inhabit another body to be rewarded or punished. This doesn't mean any of those teachings are true. Just because somebody believed something a long time ago doesn't mean it's factual. But this is where the idea comes from the question, did this man sin or his parents that he was born blind? Yeshua said, neither this man nor his parents sin. Verse 3, this came about so that the Almighty's works might be displayed in him. Now someone might say, but the man was healed. Yes, that's true because... Sometimes it's Yahweh's will to heal a sick or diseased person. The point here, though, is that the disease of blindness was not upon this man because of sin, but rather that Yahweh's works could be displayed. I remember one time I was sitting beside my mama booth in my granddaddy's house years ago. She was in her late 80s, and she told me that she was having eye trouble. Late 80s now. She said, I'm having eye trouble, and I prayed to God to heal my eyes, but He has not done it yet. So Matthew, maybe I just don't have enough faith. And I gave my mama a hug. I told her, I said, Mama, nothing's wrong with your faith. Your eyes are old. You've used them to see for a long time. And things wear out after we use them a lot. Just because somebody has to wear glasses or goes blind does not mean they're a faithless heathen. If I were to go blind, it would be very sad And a lot would change in my life and I would seek Yahweh. I would seek Yahweh and ask Him that if it was caused by a personal sin to please show me where I need to repent and help me to repent. But if I stayed blind and it wasn't caused by sin, you know what I would do? I would keep serving Yahweh. I wouldn't be a man of no faith. I would still be a man of faith. Yahweh's love would not leave me because I became blind. I would keep teaching here in the congregation. I would continue to keep the commandments. I would not stop serving Yahweh. This next part is something that I mentioned last week where in Matthew chapter 26, Yeshua prayed to Yahweh in the Garden of Gethsemane because He was about to undergo pain, agony, and suffering, torture, and being nailed to a cross. And He knew that. And He prayed, Father, if it's all at all possible, let this cup pass from Me. If you compare the verbiage there of the cup with some passages, I think it's in Psalms, it's talking about death and the wrath of Yahweh. Let this cup pass from me. Then he ended his prayer by saying, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. 
So he had a desire and he was hurting. But at the end of his prayer, he said, ultimately, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what you want. He submitted to the Father's will. And there's never been a more righteous person to ever live than Yeshua of Nazareth. Yet after this prayer, as righteous as he was, after this prayer, he was mocked, slapped, beaten, scourged, a crown of thorns, was pierced into his skull, and then he was nailed to a cross, nails through his hands and feet, and then he died. He died the death of a criminal. Did all of that suffering mean he was a sinner? Of course not. Those that did it to him meant it for evil. But that same action, Yahweh meant it for good. And brought about the salvation of all the elect of Yahweh. Yahweh had a bigger plan. Just because someone suffers does not mean they are not Yahweh's child. Look at the book of James chapter 1. Brother TJ taught a message through the book of James. I remember one time I was preaching and I quoted a text out of the book of Ephesians. And after my sermon, TJ said, What are you doing over there in my book? Well, I would encourage you. I remember I was out of town when Brother TJ taught this sermon, and it was a great sermon. I would encourage you, you can go back on the website and listen to it. But in James 1, verses 2 through 4, our brother James, he says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And I wrote in my Bible above here, so hard, but so true. Our trials produce endurance. It's like an athlete that trains for a competition. The athlete pushes his or herself to the limit. I remember being pushed by my high school basketball coach in high school so much that I threw up physically in practice because he pushed me so much running something called suicide sprints. And I found out they were called suicides for a reason. But those sprints enabled me to compete on a higher level when it came game time. I was able to have a lot more endurance and a lot more stamina outlast people. Well, when we experience various trials in life, which could be any number of different things, all of which are uncomfortable, none of which are fun to go through, which is why we're admonished to consider it a great joy. Why does James tell us that? Because normally we don't consider it a great joy. We think, oh, Yahweh, you're against me. When a trial comes, and I said, I think last week, when a trial comes our way, we immediately ask Yahweh to remove us from the trial. Early Christians would pray and ask Yahweh to help them learn something while they were in the trial. I think that's what we got to get back to doing. When a trial comes, let's not be so quick to cast it off, but to recognize maybe Yahweh's trying to get my attention about something and I need to listen to what He's saying because I need to have better endurance and I need to be more mature and I don't need to lack anything. When we're pushed to our limits, sometimes we break emotionally. How many know that sometimes after we break emotionally, things start to get better? It takes a lot, though, to break a lot of us emotionally. But it builds our spiritual muscles to the point that we become complete and mature in our faith. We're right here at Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 11. Just a page or two back. We'll read something there in a second. I want to say that faith does not always mean victory. Now, Yahweh gave this to me this past week while studying. Faith does not always mean victory 
Faith does not always mean healing. You can have faith and lose the battle. You can have faith and die. Losing and dying does not mean you lack faith. Now, it's one thing for me to say that. Let me prove it to you from the Bible. Hebrews 11, 32-40. The author of Hebrews says, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead raised to life again. And we could stop right there, but we're not going to because the author didn't stop right there because all that sounds really good. But he kept on going and he said this, verse 35b, some men were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. That's actually a reference to Second Maccabees 7 where the lady had seven sons that were tortured for the faith and died. Verse 36, And others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. We're talking about people of faith. People of faith. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised since Yahweh had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. He's talking about the kingdom or the resurrection, the city of Yahweh. So some won, some people of faith won, some lost. Some people of faith lived, some people of faith died. But all of them had faith. All these were approved by their faith. The people who were scourged or stoned or sawed in two were just as faithful as the people who escaped the sword and shut the mouths of lions. Now, think with me again to a verse we went to last week in Revelation 21 where John sees this beautiful city coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And he hears this voice that says, Behold, Yahweh's dwelling is with men. And He'll wipe away every tear from their eye and there'll be no more grief, pain, crying, or death because the former things have passed away and then the one seated on the throne, which is Yahweh the Father, says, Behold, look, I'm making all things new and what I've said is faithful and true. Well, a little bit different take on that than last week here is that if the new heavens and the new earth produce no more death, grief, crying, or pain, what that means is that the current heavens and earth do produce grief, pain, crying, and death. Because we live in a fallen world. Sin, sickness, disease, and death exist due to the fallen state of things going all the way back to what took place in Genesis chapter 3. That does not mean that everyone who gets sick isn't a believer or lacks faith. And since we're right here, on Revelation 21 and sickness and death and all this, meditate on this. Death is the greatest sickness of all. Death is. Every single 
faith healer, and for those listening later by way of audio, I'm putting air quotes around faith healer. Every single one of those men that you see on TV has died or will die. Why don't they just keep healing themselves? If they can heal cancer, why can't they heal old age? See, the point is that this life carries with it sickness and death because it's this life. It's the current age. We're still in the old world. It's only in the age to come in which all of that is reversed. Let's go to the Older Testament. Book of Job. I know that this is familiar to a lot of you, but it does good for us to stir up our minds by way of reminder. Me and David read this account last night, Job, first two chapters. Job 1 verse 1 says, There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of perfect integrity who feared the Almighty and turned away from evil. That would be something. Wouldn't it be something if you were one of that was talked about like that in the Scriptures? Perfect integrity, served the Almighty, turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. How'd you like to take care of all them animals, Brother TJ? <laughs> and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So he was a good man. These verses are here for a reason. In the first two chapters of Job. And I want to submit to you that they're here for the very point of what I'm teaching today. One of the things, big things, that the book of Job teaches us is that problems happen even in the lives of the righteous. Now if you read Job 1, Yahweh allowed Satan to strike down all that Job owned. He lost all of his animals that we just read about. Thousands of animals. He lost them all. And even worse than that, Job lost all ten of his children in one day. The great wind that came and tore down this house they were in when they were banqueting, eating and drinking wine. Job was so righteous that a lot of times the Bible says it was his regular practice. He would rise up early in the morning and he would offer up a burnt offering to try to appease Yahweh because he would say and think to himself, perhaps my children have done something wrong and I want to make it right with you, Yahweh. It's a man of integrity looking out for his children even after they're old. Perhaps, perhaps they did something wrong. I want to make it right. And we may can learn something in theology with that about the father's ability over his family. That's for another time. But this was his practice to look out for his children, but he lost all of them. Job 1 verse 20, it says, Then Job stood up, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. He fell to the ground and he worshipped and he said, Naked I came from my mama's womb and naked I will leave this life. Yahweh gives and Yahweh takes away. In other words, no calamity could happen to you. Even if Yahweh doesn't directly do it, He has to allow it to take place. So that's why He says Yahweh gives and Yahweh takes away. Praise or bless the name of Yahweh. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame the Almighty for anything. Then at the end or towards the end of chapter 2, 
Yahweh allowed Satan, the adversary, to inflict Job with these boils, these incurable boils, from the Bible says the top of his head to the soles of his feet, and he took this broken pottery and he would scrape his skin so there was blood and pus coming out from the boils. And in verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9, his wife said to him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse the Almighty and die. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from the Almighty and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. The point is is that Yahweh's greater purpose was carried out here and it had to have been Yahweh's will for Job to suffer. Else he would not have suffered if it wasn't Yahweh's will. Now some people point to the end of the book Job's restoration in Job chapter 42 where Yahweh blesses Job in the latter part of his life more or greater than ever before. And they say, see, Yahweh restored him. So if you have faith, you'll be restored. And to that I say, hallelujah, you will be restored. But not always in this life. Not always in this life. Sometimes a person's restoration comes in the next life, in the age to come. So don't think that if a saint dies of a sickness or a disease that they will not be restored. The greater restoration will be at the resurrection of the righteous. That's when they'll be paid back. Because we are paid and rewarded based on our works. We are. One last verse, 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 6 through 10. This is a writing of Paul, the apostle, one of the apostles, born out of due season. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 6, he says, For if I want to boast, I will not be a fool because I will be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. Who do you think allowed that thorn in the flesh to be in Paul? had to be Yahweh. And he said, Paul recognized here in his life that he had a problem with pride. And he said, this is why Yahweh sent this thorn in my flesh so that I would be pushed down low and not be exalted because of the abundance of revelations that I have received spiritually. Verse 8, concerning this, I pleaded with the Master three times to take it away from me. So it must have hurt, whatever it was. But he said to me, that is the Master said back to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. That's a whole sermon by itself. Power is perfected or complete in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that the Messiah's power may reside in me. So because of the Messiah, I am pleased in weaknesses, in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions and in pressures. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A lot of things in the Bible are backwards, but that's just how it is. If we want to be lifted up, 
we've got to humble ourselves. If we want to be humbled by somebody else, we've got to lift ourselves up. So either way, we're going to be humbled. So I suggest we just go ahead and do it ourselves. A lot of things in the Bible are backwards. Power is perfected in weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. The strongest man who ever lived was the Messiah. He could have called 12 legions of angels down to get him off of the cross. But he willingly went to that cross. He told one guy, it might have been Pilate. I can't remember. He said, you don't take my life from me. You could have no authority over me unless the Father gave it to you. He could have stopped it at any moment, but he didn't. He submitted to the Father's will and he did it for you and me. Amen. Paul prayed for this thorn to be removed because it was bad, but it wasn't removed. It didn't mean Paul was a faithless heathen. And it's so important that you get these truths so that the next trial that you face in life will be understood more clearly. I'm not suggesting we can understand everything completely. Like I said, we're not Yahweh. But we can see more clearly if we take all that the Bible has to teach us into account. I'm going to continue this. I'm going to make a little series out of this. I'm going to continue this next time that I teach. But I want to end today with a word of encouragement to everybody here. Um, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, and my love, everybody. Uh, my fellow servants of Yahweh. Whatever it is that you're going through, have been through, or will go through that you may not even know about yet, Whatever it is, it does not mean that Yahweh hates you. It doesn't mean that. He has a purpose. And His plan is the best plan. So continue to pray. Continue to believe. But don't be upset if He does not answer according to your will. Because His will is best. He loves you in your trial. He loves you in your sickness or disease. If you need to repent, if there's something that you're holding back in your life and you know it and you need to repent, then by all means repent. I'll never forget one time I was curled up by my gas heater with one of the worst sicknesses I'd ever had in my life and I was confessing everything that I knew. And when I got through confessing everything I knew, I started saying, and the things I don't know, Father, please forgive me. Take this sickness away from me because it hurt bad. And that's just something I do. I'm not putting that on anybody else. Um, I think I believe a righteous man is harder on himself than he is on other people. I believe a self-righteous man is harder on other people than he is on himself. If you need to repent, what I'm saying is if there's something you're holding back and you need to empty your pockets and repent of something, then do that. But if the trial doesn't go away and you've repented of everything that you know, just trust in Yahweh. Put your trust in Him and recognize this is what I want, Father, but nevertheless not what I want, but what You want. And then may Yahweh's will be done. I know that that's hard. Uh, but blessed are all they that put their trust in Yahweh. Psalm chapter 2. So Yahweh still loves you. If you get sick, if you're diseased, Yahweh still loves you. Um, I'm going to go into this more in my next lesson that I teach. But uh, at this point in time, uh, Yahweh bless everybody. Amen. I love you. I do testimonies at this time.